Friday Gallery Talks um, are a weekly uh, gallery program where we have um, different guests come in and talk about an artwork in the gallery. And now and then we'll do something called In Conversation. And In Conversation is um, more of an in-depth, hour-long talk with an artist. So a lot of times the artists that we bring in are either related to the exhibitions or um, a Smithsonian Institution um, Artist Research Fellow. And so I'm really happy to have um, Bjorn Dahlem here, um, who was uh, one for 2007, is that right? Or 2008, yes. yeah. For, so he was an artist research fellow for 2007. And um, uh, what an artist research fellow is, is it's a fellowship that's given annually. This is a fellowship um, for artists um, to come and study the collection, um, the archives, and with scholars from the Smithsonian museums, all of them. Um, in a research topic that is very important to their work. So um, we're, it's great to have you here to talk about your work and to talk a little bit maybe about the research that you did. So I'm gonna do a little introduction now of um, Bjorn and then we'll be um, going right into the discussion. So he's born in Munich in 1974. He studied at the Academy of Arts in Dusseldorf from 1995 to 2000. Uh, he was a guest professor at the University of Arts in Berlin in 2005 and 2006. He's a guest professor at the Academy of Fine Arts in Nuremberg in 2008. And he lives in Berlin now and um, is represented by Guido W. Um, Baudach uh, Gallery in Berlin. He's also been in a, a selected group and solo shows uh, with the following uh, galleries. Friedrich um, Petzl, Petzl Gallery in New York. He was in the uncertainty of objects and ideas at the Hirschhorn Museum uh, I think that was about two years ago. Um, that was curated here by Anne Elgood and was a survey of contemporary um, sculpture. And he was at the uh, Hiromi Yoshi Gallery in Tokyo at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, the Hamburger um, Bahnhof uh, Berlin, uh, Alison Jock Gallery London, and Museo Tamayo in Mexico City. So we're really happy to have you here. We're gonna uh, kind of go into maybe the work process first just to talk about what we're looking at and then maybe more into the research and your ideas, if that's okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah. Um, we're having the, yeah, okay. We're adjusting the sound. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I think I'm gonna tell a little bit about the, the working process in general. So, um, I'm not quite sure if there's so much to tell about this because um, the, the working process always starts with um, inspiration or uh, with the imagination of an idea. And um, this idea in the beginning can be very vague and then I'm trying to precise this idea more and more and try to translate it into um, a real material image. That's actually what all the artists do, I guess. And um, yeah. So this is as much as I can say about the working process in the beginning. Um, maybe we get a bit more into detail later on. So when, when for instance, the materials, so I see that you're working with drawings here. Um, are, is drawing part of your working process? Is there, is there, there, is it a preparatory part before you do your sculptures? Or yes. is it something you do in parallel? I always do drawings before I start uh, with, the, with the actual sculpture. And I always do um, drawings parallel to the work to, to find out and, and to go through um, different um, ideas of 
to go through different formal ideas when I'm, I'm installing the work. And then also I notice in a lot of your, um, these works, it seems like the site is really important to how you install them. The black hole series is this thing that is kind of looks like it's radi it's kind of sucking in or radiating out. That's one of the black hole series. And, um, but you're using things that are found objects also. And yeah, mm -hmm. um, so the, the works actually are always site specific. So the, um, the space where the work is installed is very important for me. Um, as I always try to create a certain atmosphere, a very specific atmosphere. And um, so the site always plays a very important role in my work. Uh -huh. When it comes to the materials though, um, you're using wood, you're using um, things that look almost found, um, things that are kind of seem to be cobbled together out of fluorescent tubes or, um, but a lot of wood. I mean, it's an interesting thing because these are in some ways like um, kind of galactic looking or very, um, you know, almost look like you know, orbits and science, look scientific, but the use of the wood is an interesting thing. How did you arrive at working with wood as part of the process? Um, well, wood is, is um, a material that is very easy to, to access, so you can, it's available everywhere on this, <laughs> in this world, almost, and, um, and it's very easy to, to work with wood. Um, as it is very soft and, and it can be brought into almost any kind of shape and um, it allows me very immediate access um, to my ideas because what, what I'm trying to do is, is to stay as close to the idea and to the um, immaterial image of the imagination and, and so I try to work very fast and, and try to, 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 find the, to always find the kind of fastest translation of the immaterial image to the real uh -huh. uh, sculpture. So the wood in some ways allows you to work quickly. Yes. You don't have to do a lot with, with, um, with metal in terms of like bending it or, or uh, um, things that it wouldn't necessarily do. But it's interesting because the wood also are lines. They, they don't, you actually can't bend wood to make circles. So the decision to stay with wood also keeps you from making works that are maybe too, I don't know, uh, have a, like a, um, have a more mannered quality. They seem to be, it seems to be that the work has a naive quality that, and that's something that you aim, aim for by using simple materials. Yes, it's, it's like, so I try when I, when I'm, um, when I uh, work on the sculptures, I always try to be, um, to be like a child. <laughs> so I've, I've, I have a certain kind of um, repertoire of, of materials that I always use. Um, and so it's a, it's a bit like a child goes into the forest and, and decides, okay, today I'm gonna, um, gonna play and, and, and today I'm gonna build a hut or so. Mm -hmm. Today I'm gonna build a cosmos with uh, orbits of, of planets or so. So that's what I'm trying to do, and, and this is what I'm um, trying to explain as, as the most immediate access. Yeah, in some ways it's interesting because when I look at them and when we start to talk about them that way, there's the idea of like, you know, when little kids build forts and trees, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, little playhouses mm -hmm. and things, so I can now see that connection. Um, but the ideas behind these playhouses and behind <laughs> these 
um, these, uh, you call them mental habitats, mm -hmm. is one thing, um, are a little bit more far-reaching and um, in terms of their ambition than just making a place to hide out. It's more of a place to, to contemplate larger ideas, maybe. Uh, how does the light work in it? Because I see that you're sometimes using light bulbs or fluorescent tubes. When did you start doing that with the work? Oh, it's, it, it's, yeah, it started simultaneously with the use of wood. And um, I'm, I think it's, it's, light is a bit like the opposite of the wood because it's, the wood is a very real and very um, all-day material that everybody can, can understand. And it, you, you, can, you can see how a tree grows and, and so you can, you can imagine and understand the material quite well while light is something very immaterial and something magical that you cannot really understand as a material. Because it's it's somehow between the real and the the abstract. <laughs> also in in science, it's this um, um, dualism of of light. That scientists cannot exactly tell whether it's really a material or if it's just a wave. Mm. So um, it's kind of a magic material. And that is something that starts to come up maybe when you when you start to work with these scientific ideas of these are theories about how things behave in the world and you trying to kind of manifest them in sculpture is, is, is it's like a heroic task, but by using really simple materials, it makes it less heroic. It kind of keeps it more low tech in that sort of way. Um, and that, so that's just more of a, a, like a interpretation, I guess, on my part. Um, but I also, some of these um, have really intricate kind of titles and it seems to be that language is a big part of this too. And some of the installations that you have um, incorporate large words. Um, you're not, we're not seeing them right now on the screen, but can you talk a little bit about the connection between, there's the Como one, mm -hmm. but the connections between uh, language and then the sculptures and how you're using those? Um, I really like letters as sculptures because um, um, this always creates a comic moment because um, a letter normally is an abstract thing and when it becomes real as a sculpture, that's always a moment of, uh, of, uh, of, of joy for me. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, I, I really like that. It's, it's something, it's, it, it creates a moment where, when I'm always wondering, is this when a letter stands in front of me as a real thing? <laughs> so it's almost, it's different than reading it on a page to see it in a room in a physical sort of way. Can you talk? A little bit more about that. I mean, what what got you to start working so environmentally with words? Can you can you remember when that first started happening in your work, or did you just at some point just start doing it? Um, I think it started in ninety uh, eight. I've, I've done the first work with words, and um, the 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 word I've um, built from styrofoam was um, sense, actually, um, in, in German, Sinn, which is a bit more global than the, than the, um, it, than the English word sense. And um, I think that's, um, that's quite remarkable that it was exactly this word, <laughs> because um, sense is, uh, um, is very hard to to really concretely be sensed, so to say, uh -huh. and um, and it was this, and, and and it was exactly this moment that 
something that that an um, that a concept that is very abstract becomes completely real in mm -hmm. space if you have just the word zin or sense mm -hmm. in space. And with this word coma, how is that related to the work for you? Um, coma is um, the the Greek root of the um, of our word comet, and it means as much as ponytail actually, and it's. And also the sound is a very nice sound. I like the O and the A in there. So um, this is kind of a musical um, um, adaption of the of the piece itself at the gallery. So it's like like a background music mm. or so on on the wall that goes with the actual sculpture of the show. That's true because you never really make them a color. They kind of they they usually hang back as part of the wall or they, you, it's, that's interesting it's, it's there. It's kind of a background chorus. So uh-huh, uh-huh, interesting. And the scale of it too is so large. So to be around letters that are not only that large, but also coming off of the wall in a sculptural way is interesting. Um, can you talk about maybe how the relationship between the, the, the sculpture and, and the word? Uh, is it, are we supposed to be looking at the sculpture as being named by this, or is it more uh, less of a, a overt collection connection? I mean, um, no, it's just an additional reference to the to the work. So it's not the title of the work. The the work um, um, itself shows, um, yeah, um, is inspired by early models of um, of the planetary system mm -hmm. and of the solar system. So it shows different orbits of um, of uh, objects in the sky, and um, and it shows also in, in on the left hand side of the image you can see um, geometric bodies. One is a dodecahedron, and the other one is a tetrahedron in the center of the dodecahedron. Is there another one of this they, that we can see the they, the they shape are closely related to um, general? Ideas um, of of the universe of the oh, they, yeah. um, mid ages. Huh? Hey. Trying to find <laughs> the right image. Oh, you just yeah. passed it. But this idea of these using these geometric forms and they are both kind of representing the universe, but they're also just geometric. That's, yeah. That's okay. um, the two bodies in here, the, the tetrahedron and the dodecahedron, um, refer to a very complex theory um, of, um, of orbits of planets that were developed by Johannes Kepler um, a, a Polish-German astronomer um, in, during the 16th century um, who tried to, to develop a very complex theory that, that connected um, Greek ancient models of the world to, to his uh, present state-of-the-art knowledge about the, about the cosmos. And um, it was a very complex theory and it took him about 15 years to work out all this theory and finally he realized 
that uh, his theory was completely wrong because he received new data from a new um, observatory and this showed him that his whole idea and his whole construction of the, of this, of, of the solar system was completely wrong and then he turned from a, um, from a solar, um, um, from a heliocentric um, view of the world to a, uh, from the geocentric view of the world to the heliocentric of the world. And I think this is something that recurs in your work a lot, which is, well, first of all, when people might come in and look at the sculpture, they may not see the connections between some of these theories that you think about and then kind of how they inspire the sculptures. Is that important to you, that they see it um, or they don't see it? To me, it's not so important that the audience sees the, the connection because I'm not trying to illustrate something in my work. I'm not trying to illustrate um, scientific theories or something like that because this this would be a one-to-one -one translation that, I'm, that I, th I think would be completely uncreative and, and spiritless somehow. Um, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm into a lot of theories and um, I, I really like um, yeah, the atmosphere of this kind of theories and I like the beauty in it. And, and for example, Johannes Kepler's theory was a very beautiful and, and great theory um, as a um, uh, yeah, as an artwork or so, and um, I just uh, draw inspiration from that mm -hmm. things, and um, I think somehow, um, or I hope uh, that this kind of beauty somehow um, gets into my work mm -hmm. and um, can be visible to the audience. And I think that one of the parts of it for me when I look at the work is that while you have, there are, they are based on these larger theories of cosmology, there are these kind of cosmologies and these ideas of what makes, what, what is being and what is, um, what is the universe and these questions that have gone on for so long, but the materials that you use then are so kind of, because they're low tech, because they're materials that anyone can build themselves, there's something a bit, um, there, you, you make them more human they're on a more uh, human scale in that sort of way, even though they're larger than human beings, because I think the scale is really important with these works, that they're very large. But the, the, the materials, the fact that anyone can buy these materials at a hardware store is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think, it, the, for me, part of the project is that these theories are available to us, mm -hmm. that the artwork is making those theories available to us. That's, by the way, the idea of humanism in the Renaissance that, um, um, yeah, the, the spirit of our intelligence is um, the same spirit uh, of nature, so we are able to access uh, nature and to understand nature. And mm -hmm. um, maybe, yeah, my, uh, um, my formal approach and my use of materials is a similar idea uh, translated to, um, to uh, yeah, the, the, the formal, um, formal ideas of my work. Because when we, for instance, in terms of nature, you might be out on a hiking trip or something and you will look at the stars, it's unfathomable. I mean, it's hard to understand what, well, at least for me, <laughs> but it's hard to understand exactly what's going on there. I mean, yes, I understand the scientific ideas behind it, but the looking at it still suspends any real understanding. And so this idea of wonder comes up, I think, mm -hmm. a lot which is that um, I'm being, and this might be because I was born in Los Angeles, I often will look at these kinds of phenomena and the only way to understand them is to think of them as sets, you know, like 
movie sets or, or something that's been created by a special effects uh, team. And by making them into artwork, there's a way of kind of doing that again. That I think there's also, that in some ways you're showing a certain artifice. You're allowing the artifice to show. Um, I mean, are these drawings that we're walking into diagrams of how we understand the universe? Or is there something else that you're getting at that's beyond that? I don't, I'm not quite, does that make sense? Um. Well, the, the point I'm fascinated with is the, is the order of nature and, and all the different shapes and the, um, yeah, the organization of, of, of nature. Um, when I've visited the scientists at the Harvard-Smithsonian Observatory in Harvard, um, I was so, um, yeah, I talked to one of the um, professors who are doing research about um, this, uh, the superstructures in space. Mm -hmm. and I, was, I got completely obsessed with that um, because it's such a uh, beautiful uh, thing to see how nature is organized in, in all the details in, 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 in microcosm, but also in macrocosm mm -hmm. on the very large scales. And um, I think this kind of organization has a lot to do with of sculpture and um, as it as it shows the whole yeah um, as um, from a from a religious point you could say this shows the spirit of the creator creator or so mm -hmm. yeah. hmm. so it's so you're feeling that this is in some ways a self-expression in that way too or I'm not sure what you mean by the I'm not sure I, I understand what you mean by it shows the creator Oh, I see, more in a, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, in a spiritual sense, <laughs> yeah. but also in, in, in an artistic sense, it's, it's the same spirit, but on a, on a different scale. Uh -huh, I see, yeah, <laughs> so, on a human so, scale. So, so I'm, as an artist, I'm, I'm a micro creator, and there's the big macro creator. Oh, that's, yeah, that's very <laughs> Renaissance. Yeah, 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 I see. You were also, we were also talking a little bit about um, Francis Bacon and mm -hmm. science and the idea of the rational and how you think about those issues. Do you want to look at another work here, maybe? Um, yes, we can switch to another work. How, how do those things start to figure in your work? The, how do you play off of the, um, well, maybe going back to the gallery, because in some ways the gallery is, is, an, is, a, is architecture that organizes and classifies in a certain sort of way so that we can understand things as, as artworks. And a lot of times, the way curators set up things is to create these categories that these artworks can fit into. How do you start to work with the gallery in terms of, of that information that it brings to your work? Do, or do you not think in those terms? I do not really think in those terms because the, the gallery to me is just the space where I can show artwork, but in general, I could show it anywhere. But mm -hmm. it's just because I'm part of the art market and there's some very, uh, yeah, materialistic uh, uh, links that I have to follow up to. Do you never show these outside then? Um, I've done one outside sculpture, but um, the problem with the outside sculpture is the electricity and, um, and also the problem with um, mm. um, humidity. So th this causes some practical pro problems and therefore I, I'm not really the guy who does a lot of outdoor sculpture. When we were speaking yesterday, we were talking a little bit about like rationality and, mm -hmm. and the kinds of things you were thinking about. Do, do you want to talk about that at all in terms of? Um, yes, but I think, um, yeah. 
I, th I, th I think that r rationality is completely um, overestimated in, in our Western society in, in general. Uh, maybe the, um, the crash of the stock markets is a very good example for the, for the complete overestimation of, of uh, rationalism because there you can see that, the, um, that all the people who, who are um, so much into the material world get totally lost in their irrational creation of, of uh, virtual value and, and, and in the end it's all a big altruistic and completely irrational um, system that we are lost in at the moment. And it seems like that sensibility, the idea that you you know that you you start with a theory that is based on rational ideas about the world, but that by making them into sculptures, you kind of play a little bit with the irrationality too. Um, so, for instance, when this this is another black hole work, yeah. to actually make a sculpture of a black hole is incredibly impossible because it's antimatter. So <laughs> it's not really antimatter, but oh. it's it's some it's it's just beyond visibility. The the black hole. Oh, you okay. can say it's there. Okay. So antimatter is something else. Um, but um, the, the 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 black hole is is um, to me is very um, it's it's kind of a metaphor in in, in physics for um, uh, something that I really like in art theory. I'm I'm quite a lot into Heidegger's. Um, um, art, art theory, the, the theories of Martin Heidegger, the German philosopher, and and he says that um, th um, the wonderful thing about an artwork is that it keeps the openness of the world open, mm -hmm. and, and and black holes are also a little bit like like that because they are the complete openness. They they are like completely undefined things as we do not get information fr from there because all information is swallowed by a black hole. Mm -hmm. So it's like the openness in, in space is the black hole. And that relates to this idea of wonder, which is that wonder, when, we're, when our rationality is suspended, when we have no explanations for things, there's this openness that happens mm -hmm. with wonder. And, um, and we were talking about what you, what make what might make a work feel successful to you, and you were talking a lot about how maybe that sense of wonder will come up. Mm -hmm. I think in a good artwork, there's always a, a, a tiny little rest that is unexplainable and open. And through this, and this openness works like a door. You can step through and go on to the next um, uh, wonderful perception. <laughs> so, so. Um, this is why I'm not so much into conceptual art because I think this um, kind of art does not um, keep this very important openness. Hmm. When, um, when you do your research, how is that helping your being open to things? Are you looking for certain things when you're researching um, different ideas about the universe or different theories? Well, I've, I've, I've thought about, um, about if it's really possible for an artist to do research. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's something to I thought about yesterday. Okay, let's talk about it's, that. It's, it's, I think it's, for me, it's probably not possible because research always um, um, has to do with a certain goal or so that you want to reach. But mm. um, for an artist, it's, th th there's never 
you cannot really specify a certain mm -hmm. goal you want to re reach as an artist. Mm -hmm. So it's um, um, so what I'm doing is is not really research. It's just uh, wandering around and collecting inspiration, mm -hmm. and um, and this can be a very chaotic process because anything can be inspiring and interesting and um, and this is how I, I did the um, research fellowship it just took me from one point to the next and it was a very uh, chaotic odyssey through the uh, different uh, institutions museums and archives of, of the Smithsonian so maybe one visited kind of brought linked it to another mm -hmm. visit exactly. uh -huh. mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit about how those links happened I mean, it's difficult, I know, First of all, <laughs> but I'm just curious. Yeah. It was, yeah, it, it started very banal with visiting the Smithsonian website and I was um, completely um, overwhelmed by, the, um, by all the many um, institutions and, and so on that are run by the Smithsonian. And, um, and I was very happy to see that the Smithsonian runs an observatory and this, um, um, yeah, was was one of the main hubs from where I get into different uh, mm -hmm. uh, other uh, places. Yeah. And what did you what when, what's the scholars that you work with there? What what did you gain from that in terms of any ideas or things that that you'll take with you? We yes. talked a little bit about the photography that you were looking at of um, the moon landing. Uh, yeah, this is one example. Another example is this T-shirt <laughs> with the moon on it. It's uh, it was it's not my uh, creation, but it was um, made by a fashion designer who's a friend of mine in London. And she, um, this is a scan I've made at the CEPS, at the Center for Earth and Planetary Studies. That was uh, fast. The National um, <laughs> Air and Space Museum, and. Um, yeah, and I've sent it to her, and she made this T-shirt from that. That's nice. Which I quite like. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the um, for me the the inspiration were quite similar. So um, so far, um, I have not produced any artworks where you could really say, and this is because Björn Dahlen went to the Harvard SAO yeah, 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 yeah. and so on. But um, I've collected a lot of materials, and there's a lot of drawings and. There's going to be a lot of new artworks. Great. Um, the other thing too is there's some of some of the work is more um, like a, more like planetary and more about kind of ideas about what the universe is. But you also have works that seem to be more psychological or have aspects. These habitat works. Well, I also to you, I find that you use these rugs a lot, and this mm -hmm. one I quite like because the rug is representing your brain. Yeah, that's a brain rug, uh -huh. and it's uh, <laughs> it's actually the two-dimensional um, projection of my three-dimensional brain, and um, yeah. And then there's those geometric forms, which are are they like platonic forms, forms that are you're trying to comprehend, or um. <laughs> <laughs> because we're talking about metaphor here, because you have been talking about these as a kind of metaphor. <laughs> Um, and I'm not trying to kind of reduce anything here, but it is kind of interesting for me to hear about your process. No, you're completely right. This yeah. is um, platonic bodies. We, we see the, the white bodies are dodecahedrons, and they are um, symbols or, 
or early Greek models of the um, of the fifth element of the element of the skies and and the gods and also the the element of creation and um, and um, maybe this is um, this work is is an example for one of the rare moments where I've created an artwork that really works a bit like a model because this is um, like a model of platonic art theory that the inspiration is dropped into this black American letterbox you see in the center of the piece. Yeah. <laughs> then from there it climbs down to the, um, to the level of my brain. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it's kind of like, I was looking at it, I was thinking, it's kind of like the, the light bulb is like, oh, you've got mail. It's a little like, a, like an email from the gods. Yeah, so it is you know, about inspiration in yeah, that way. Yeah, and it creates ideas that are represented by the um, fifth elements of, uh, yeah, by the platonic bodies that are uh, arranged around that black ladder box. Uh-huh, uh -huh. And there's a lot of humor in your work, and I think that it's like while, while you are thinking about these really large ideas, this humor comes up again and again in terms of um, the heroism that, you know, uh, kind of the play with the heroic feat of trying to represent these things, or not even represent these things, but just deal with these larger issues. But there's also a, uh, some of these habitats, um, they're also little places for people to lay down. Um, so these definitely work on a human scale, but there are other ones that have couches and things in it. When did the couch idea start coming into your work and, and what, what is that related to? Um. The, the couch idea is related to the Freudian idea of the of the psychoanalysis, and um, yeah, and, and the couch plays a very important role in, in, in Freudian theories. So, and and uh, is there? Do you also thinking about dreams? Because a lot of people become inspired by dreams, and this idea that we don't quite understand what a dream is mm -hmm. is an interesting, I think, aspect also that might be found in your work. Could you? Yeah, I think the the. Um, um, the dream is a very interesting representative of this openness that I've been talking about um, because we, yeah, as you said, we, we do not really understand our dreams and I work a lot with dreams so I, I, whenever I have a dream I, I try to make a note in the morning and um, I have a big archive of dreams and I also have uh, sketches of objects that appeared in my dreams and so my dreams are always, or my works are always uh, related to my dreams. And um, this, for example, is a, is a work where I uh, immediately worked with my dreams and, and I tried to make videos um, from motives of my uh, dreams. And um, those videos were displayed in a, in a, um, in a, um, in a cabin that looks a bit like a, like a typical Bavarian uh, cabin in, in the mountains, like a Stadel or an Almhütte. And um, attached to this cabin, there was a long um, white tunnel made of uh, styrofoam, which looks a bit like, like, if, um, like the film set of, of 2001, A Space Odyssey. They have, you have a similar mm -hmm. um, scene where there's a white tunnel. And um, yeah, and the idea was that the, um, the spectator enters the, um, um, the subconsciousness some consciousness represented by the dark cabin through this white uh, um, rational tunnel and then ends up in the cabin and um, 
and has a look at this collection of dreams that I captured on video. Mm -hmm. So there's interesting, I think there's this, this interesting back and forth where there are these things that are kind of involve the visitor or the, the viewer to come in and, and use your sculpture as an environment for them to be in. And then some of them that use kind of almost the gallery space as a universe where there's no place really for the human except to kind of orbit the sculptures in that sort of way. Um, is there, do you feel that there's a direction that your work is going more towards one thing or the other or? No, it's always two things at once. Uh -huh. I knew you were gonna say that for some reason, yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's, it's yeah. I personally believe that um, all the theories about space are just descriptions of our um, way of thinking as, as human beings and it's just a self-description of our approach to, to the world in general. So it's always on, on, on two sides. So this idea of the theories about our world or our experience are really meta like more metaphors or hmm, that's not really the right thing, but that, that these are, so is all science a, a kind of a fiction in some ways? In, in some way, or it's, it's a description of our state of mind. So the, the, the nowadays, um, model of the world is just the description of our collective state of mind at this time. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm following the, the ideas of um, German romanticism in this perspective very much. Okay. Are there any works that you particularly, you know, you've never been able to do or that you'd like to realize that you haven't done yet? I would like to do a work in space, I think. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Because zero gravity would make things much easier. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and how long would you want to be spending doing that in space? I mean, how much do you like space? And just for a couple of days. Okay, not anything longer. <laughs> well, at this, thank you very much. At this point, um, we open up the um, open up to questions as soon as we can see you. We have a microphone that we're handing around, so please use the microphone because. Um, we'd like everyone to be heard. Any questions or comments? Hi, I wondered if you could talk about your work that has the silver shovels on the beach. It looks like it's Miami. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm trying to find that image. Yeah, this work is maybe not so typical in, in, in general for my work as it, um, as it, as this is, um, yeah, this is a snow shovel that I bought at a hardware store and we um, molded it in, um, in aluminum and brought it to Miami Beach. And to be honest, this was a very quick work and uh, an outdoor work and it's, it's just the stupid idea that in, in Miami there's a lot of uh, snow and um, or sand, <laughs> and that needs to be shoveled shovel during the uh, Art Basel Miami, and yeah, and this is why I brought this snow shovel to the to the beach, and it also refers to a famous Marcel Duchamp snow shovel piece that um, yeah, so it's a very but there's a, there, you have a lot of works that are vertical like this too, though. I've noticed like these, the, the, there's, a, there's a couple of works where you use the fluorescent tubes vertically and yes. so verticality seems to be something 
that's also like your other work. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's yeah, maybe it's kind of an antenna, silver. It's, it's, it becomes kind of magical in uh, uh, when it's made in this material. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's, this is the, what you mean by vertical mass or something. Yeah, I could. Yeah, you could go that way. Yeah. Other um, other questions or comments today? Anything that you saw you didn't quite? Okay. Uh, why don't we go here and then there? Yeah. Um, I'm in a course on Marcel Duchamp right now, and I'm interested if you think he's influenced your work in other ways. If you could talk about him for just a minute. Hmm. I think Marcel Duchamp has influenced all the artists, uh, and there's no way around Marcel Duchamp. But um, but I keep it um, with Joseph Beuys, the German artist, who said, says that his uh, silence is completely overestimated. And um, I, I think um, he might be a little overestimated. In what way do you mean that he's over, oh, that people are focusing just too much on only his practice? And, or what do you mean by overestimated? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like the, the mystery of the 20th century art. So. Right. And, and he didn't produce work for his last um, 15 years. And then finally, he presented this cheesy work with the uh, uh, naked woman behind the door. So <laughs> now, I some people don't think that's cheesy. <laughs> why is that? Now, why was that disappointing to you? Because, yeah, I don't know, but. Um, this year there was this Picabia Duchamp, um, uh, Picabia Duchamp Man Ray show uh -huh. that started in London, and I went there in London, and, and after I, I was so I felt so disappointed. I cannot really say why, but it's, it's just because maybe it's just because I thought, okay, this all the guys were just completely obsessed with sex. <laughs> so yeah, 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 and there was wasn't there was nothing else and to the work for nothing you. Really, uh, mm. more about it. Hmm. So, yeah, that's, an that's not true. But um, <laughs> um, there's really beautiful Marcel Duchamp uh, pieces, like the, the 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 work with the thread, where he threw the threads on the floor and then created this beautiful uh, shapes from cardboard. And so I mean, mm. this is really excellent and, and beautiful works. But I, I think. Finally, he got trapped in, in this intellectual uh, intellectual um, one-way street. So. Mm -hmm. hmm. Kind of, st it stopped him from going further with the work. He decided that that was enough. Maybe that just to, that they could be intellectual games and puzzles and jokes. Yeah, maybe in in, in, in the end, his view of the world was mechanistic. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, hmm. and this always yeah. The, when we were talking about Francis Bacon, um, um, I tried to explain that um, a mechanistic view of the world always leads to the point that um, um, that is narcissistic in the end because. Um, if you look at the world as the big mechanism and say, okay, I can explain everything. Um, the only real wonder of the world is yourself and your brain that mm. is able to, to get behind all the big mysteries of the world. Mm -hmm. so, 
and this um, in the end creates a, a big um, emptiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you look at the world as a, as a spiritual uh, thing, uh, it creates a lot of wonder and um, and um, yeah, and it's less narcissistic, I think. And less ego-based because there's something beyond the ego. There's something mm -hmm. beyond one's will. Bjorn, it's Jane. Hi. Um, you mentioned the German romantics, and I think that you can't almost underestimate one thing that I've been struck with your work is uh, if one thinks of Caspar David Friedrich's um, paintings and a soul person gazing at the universe, trying to make sense of it, and often the imagery of trees are very profound, very basic structure of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you really push this metaphor into the 21st century in a pretty powerful way. Uh, you talk a lot about science, but I would say that poetry plays equally a large part in your work, and I don't know if you read poetry, but it struck me as we were talking about your work and um, how uh, German Romanticism or into Wagner, sort of Gesamtkunstwerk, this total experience, you, you take that idea and push it into all kinds of realms, not within the galleries. I think, and in fact, you almost defy the gallery. I feel like your work is busting out of the space, and some of your work is best situated not in, within the confines of a white box. But I'm just curious, are there any German, German poets that you've been reading? Because I see a lot of that in your, in your work. Um, yes, there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of German poets, especially Novalis, for example, who's uh, one of the biggest poets of the, of the German Romanticism. And, um, yeah, and, uh, and, and he exactly had this idea that, that nature and the human soul are completely identical and they, um, yeah, and, and, and this is also the idea behind Caspar David Friedrich's paintings, that, um, that his paintings of landscapes are uh, metaphors of, of, a mental, of a mental state or of, 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 um, yeah, of a state of the, of the psyche. Or so. mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. So could you wait for the microphone? inbox and mm -hmm. the, the map, um, mm -hmm. I was kind of trying to figure out like which way was front, if there was a Broca's area and a frontal cortex and a, <laughs> the, the amygdala and stuff back there, but um, I wonder, is there a title for that work? Yeah, it's called the Heimlich Deuterium. Uh, it's a bit hard to, to translate because it's a game on, word, uh, on words and um, it's, it's Maybe a possible English title would be the secret interpretarian or so, because it's, yeah. Um, I think the title is, is really hard to translate. Well, so. okay. <laughs> no, no, then. Um, because I, I can see where um, to hang a title on it might sound too illustrative, and the work obviously speaks for itself. I'm wondering. Um, the rug, did you commission someone to make that rug, or did you? No, it's made, um, let's see, we can look, have another look at the image, but the, um, the rug is just made from um, rugs we bought at the hardware store, and I just cut out some shapes and just reassembled the whole thing. So it's, it's a very lo-fi technique, that rug. 
message. And um, another work, because uh, it's very helpful. I mean, the slides are good, but I couldn't tell until you mentioned that that was a mailbox or a letterbox mm -hmm. yeah. um, um, up there. And there was, um, in particular, one other work that was flashing by. Um, it had um, bottles or like specimen jars of what might have been eels sausages. or green leaves or... I think they're sausages. Sausages. Yeah, we could talk about the sausages now. We didn't <laughs> actually do that. It's like a rack. That's in the middle of the sculpture. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. This is this is one of the outdoor sculptures I did, and this is kind of a futuristic tree. Um, it's meant to be a fir tree, and um, instead of fruit, it carries sausages, uh, and it's um, yeah, it's a kind of a cubist futuristic sausage tree. Very German, maybe. And then. <laughs> But when we were talking about this, it went into another direction because of this, how, how you use these sausages a lot in the middle of the universe, you know, or in the middle of a spaceship-like thing or some strange model. Yeah, so in, in German you also say armes Würstchen, which is uh, a poor human being, uh, a poor lost human being is, is a poor sausage. I just, I, for me, it's really important that people get the humor of it, too. So I like, I'm glad we talked about the sausages, yeah. Well, on another level, though, that looks like some sort of a spacecraft or a diagram of some of those primary forms. And the sausage is almost like the torus form, which is one theory of, the, of space, that everything is in that donut, or maybe an elongated version of the donut, the sausage or the torus. Oh, wow. Maybe you should write the next text for my catalog. Okay. <laughs> I think I think we've had a, a um, I think we're at our limit for time now, um, but thank you very much for coming. I really enjoyed talking to you about the work. Thank you all for coming too. And Friday Gallery Talks will um, resume next week. We'll be concentrating on the Ponza collection again. And please look at the website for any future dates. Thank you again.